talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks is in the newsroom. Will Erskine is on the board. If getting a booster vaccine is so important, why did Canada wait so long to start them? Who the hell cares? Scott! Who cares? Good afternoon. It is 310. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML in Hamilton, 980 CFPL in London. Great to have you along on this uh, December 23rd edition as we wind out the uh, the week and head into a holiday, which was a little different than we thought we would uh, probably get. Feel free to jump into the fun because uh, it's going to be either way. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Daddy picked the tune today. Everybody, you know, I'm watching in the States. said today, yesterday, uh, the biggest travel days in the U.S. as uh, people are flying around, Omicron or not, and uh, as more and more people become uh, infected and the the stress <laughs> turns on to uh, vaccination, the bad DAS. Uh, well, you know, what's the most sought after uh, Christmas uh, item this year? Oh, no, it's not a Cabbage Patch Kid. It's not a fidget spinner. It's not whatever the, uh, you know, digital toy of the day is. Uh, it's a test kit. And to the point now where uh, everybody is, or lots are saying, uh, hold off on the PCR testing. If you've got a rapid test and you're positive, you, you got it. Sit at home and, and ride it out unless you're uh, seriously ill because our uh, testing situation is not set up for uh, mass testing like this. And, uh, you know, the Prime Minister has uh, stood up yesterday and talked about New Brunswick and how they were the model because, of course, it's a Liberal government. Uh, and they have been handing out tests all along. Well, now they're out. So they've been giving them to everybody. So now those that are really looking for them can't find them. Uh, British Columbia, the headline, uh, B.C. waiting five hours for tests. B.C. lagging behind rest of country per capita. So uh, as much as we like to blame the province or the uh, premier of the day, uh, this is a big issue, raising the huge question, why did Canada wait so long uh, to administer a booster shot if it is so valuable. If this is what we needed, why did we wait uh, so long to to get to where we are? It was the first week of December. It opened up for those uh, uh, 50 and above to uh, to get a booster shot. Within a week or a week later, it was 18 plus because Omicron was on the horizon. Many are asking. Many are blaming Doug Ford. Why didn't you see all this coming? Well, come on. It's a bigger picture than that. Why were all of these boosters? Israel onto the their fourth dose. The United States have been giving out boosters for months. Again, NASI just weeks ago, two weeks ago, said, you know what, you probably should get that booster after six months. So, uh, again, we are where we are, and uh, there certainly isn't one province across this great country that is doing it any better uh, than the rest. Everybody is in pretty much the same predicament, and that is trying to get tests that uh, don't exist, overloading uh, uh, a lab uh, a laboratory setting, which is not designed to do massive tests, and the same thing with boosters. Uh, the booster system is not set up to... Uh, to boost everybody in in one week, in one day. It's just not set up to do that. 
So, uh, again, you know, you have to wonder why we are where we are and, and why we at least didn't try to move to some of these measures uh, a little bit earlier, especially when it comes to uh, getting our boosters. And now everybody's trying to make a mad dash as if that's going to make some sort of difference for the holidays. Uh, when we all know it takes two weeks for that to kick in anyway. Uh, and again, uh, there is uh, so many people trying to get tests right now that it is literally uh, overloading uh, the system, <clears throat> much like when we got vaccines in uh, way back when. You know, when we were lighting the CHML Christmas tree of hope a couple of weeks ago, that uh, the, the number one thing on everybody's Christmas list would be a rapid test or a appointment to get a PCR test or uh, perhaps even a booster shot. It's amazing how things have changed in a very short period of time. And uh, now, of course, everybody uh, lineups, and this is right the way across the country, whether it's uh, the West Coast or the East Coast or everything in between, uh, everybody is experiencing uh, long lineups with testing capability and getting your booster shot. Uh, how, and, and once again has drawn attention, uh, this time to the Medical Laboratory Association and all of these great labs that are working hard to try to get all of these tests processed in a very short period of time, not to mention it's the holidays. Uh, and you can imagine what the issue is with staffing. So let's bring in Michelle Hode uh, of the Medical Laboratory Professions Association of Ontario and with us now. Michelle, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. I am well. So tell us what your association does and what its objective is. Sure. So we represent the medical lab technologists and medical lab assistant technicians that work across our labs um, across the entire province of Ontario. So everybody that's currently processing tests, processing COVID tests is who we represent. Uh, and any idea, give us an idea of how many labs that would be. What is the capacity here in the, in the province? Um, so that's a good question. So I believe there's 226 what we call um, participating labs, but the actual number of labs processing COVID tests is much less than that. So I don't know the exact number, but if I'm going to take a guess, I would say probably 40. So many have been screaming uh, test, test, test. Uh, many thought we should be better prepared for all of this. How has things changed for your business since all of this? So we started the pandemic understaffed. So staffing has been an issue in Ontario for a very long time. Um, You know, back in the 90s, the government at that time decided to close seven out of the 12 med lab science programs in the province, thinking that technology and instrumentation would replace humans. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. We still need the expertise to interpret results. So as the population of Ontario has grown, um, the number of lab technologists, are now starting to leave the profession because it's 25 years later and wow. uh, retiring. So we now are looking at 44% eligible to retire in the next two to four years. So again, as we're seeing in, in, in many weak links in the healthcare chain, there, there's obviously a staffing shortage uh, in, in, in labs well before this pandemic started. Yeah, absolutely. And so now what happens is we hit what I call the perfect storm. So we enter a pandemic that relies on testing (laughs) and the people we need to do the testing are the ones that are taking the biggest hit. They have been working, you know, pretty hard right now for 20 plus months. Um, Last year was a little different because we did have the rapid test, but they weren't really 
um, pushed as much. So this year we do have that additional tool, which is good. But the sudden surge in PCR testing is really causing a lot of problems, um, just from a processing and reporting perspective. So we're definitely struggling right now to kind of meet the 24-hour turnaround time. And some provinces, in some provinces, were saying that uh, you know if you have a rapid test and it's tested positive, go with that rather than clogging up PCR because they were trying to 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 I, I guess uh, spread the tests out as as much as they could. Is there anything we can do in that respect that uh, you know can somehow ease this the pressure that you're feeling now? Yeah, so this is, we're kind of waiting on the government to give us some sort of direction, but you're exactly right. Um, the rapid tests that are out right now are are good. You know, from a lab perspective, we're all about accuracy. So when you get a test done, you want to make sure, you know, 100%, do you have cancer? Don't you have cancer? Are you pregnant yeah. or you're not pregnant? We don't need a maybe answer. Yeah. So, you know, rapid tests give you a maybe. But we've started to see with Omicron that it, there's a, you need a high viral load in your system for it to show up on a rapid test, and those rapid tests are showing positive. So you should know if you, if you test positive with a rapid test, you most likely have COVID. So the right thing to do would be to stay home. The reason to get the PCR test, first, to confirm, but secondly, it allows us to understand who has it, where it is, and who potentially you have been with. So it's all about trying to mitigate the damage that could be done with somebody maybe that went to a grocery store or went to a party and had 50 people there. Now we know we could have tons of problems. So that's the importance of the PCR test. And I've heard that um, uh, contact tracing has become uh, difficult simply because there's so many people now that are testing positive. Yeah, it, it, it's really, really hard. I think, you know, the other thing that we're not really talking a lot about is, you know, how, um, how forthright people are with regards to, you know, admitting where they've been. Right? Yeah. So I think that's that's a hard conversation to have where you could potentially call somebody or a nurse calls and says, you know, you want to make sure that your contacts you were with, you advise them. So everybody gets a little bit concerned with that. So the advice we're giving right now is, you know, follow the protocols, keep your circles, you know, pretty small, um, try to stay home. If you have symptoms, be logical about it. Stay home. You just don't want to infect others. Yeah. So obviously the testing has come to a saturation point and, you know, as more and more tests become available, there's still going to be a bottleneck at the lab, uh, at the lab level simply because people got to process these. So as we're heading into the holidays and Michelle, I know I'm probably asking you to something to do something that, 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 that that's very difficult in doing, but what would you say to people in regard to testing? So they have peace of mind, I guess, doing whatever they're going to do, but don't overload the lab system. That's a really good question. I think um, one of the one of the things I've been sort of suggesting to people in my network, you know, in my social circle, you know, in my social media is we want to be smart this year. So that means if you are questioning whether you should go visit family or friends, that question itself should make you think twice. Yeah. So just be safe. Um, it's so contagious that you wouldn't want someone else to get it. You might have the ability to overcome it. Other people may not. So, you know, the advice we're giving is, you know, keep your circles as small as you can. There's going to be, you know, I have a tough time with this, but there will be a future where we're going to get back to some sort of normal. But in the interim, we just want to save as many as we can. 
People are pretty hot about all of this, and you can totally understand with the fatigue and where everybody is. I mean, everybody's in the same boat here uh, in some form or another. Uh, Are people relying on the testing structure too much to help them make those tough decisions, considering what you just said? So in other words, well, I got to get a test so I can... It's like, well, what about the common sense when we didn't have a test for this? Uh, Are we relying too much on these and the labs to take care of us? I, I, I think yes. Unfortunately, you know, one, one piece of advice I give to people is don't use rapid tests as a way for you to justify that you're going to see your family. It's, yeah. it's, it's not a good use of the resource we have. We apparently have many of them. That's what the government's telling us. So it sounds like it's a distribution issue, just trying to get them out. We're going to get them. We should use them when we need them. If you have symptoms, you should absolutely do a rapid test. But if you're hanging on to a really hot rapid test right now, which is really hard to get, you need to keep it and use it when you need it, not use it when you don't have symptoms. And uh, as far as, uh, you know, eventually, as you said, we'll get through this backlog and, and such, um, are people... Are people um, now sort of saying, you know, so many are getting tested, I'm not even going to bother. It's got to the point where everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who has this. Are you worrying that then people will just pull back on this because it doesn't seem, as long as you're totally vaccinated, it doesn't seem to be as severe? Yeah, I think there there is some behavior that we've got to be careful with. I agree with you. Um, You know, I think that people are going to get impatient and just say, well, if my rapid test says I'm positive and there's no reason for me to go get tested. Um, I think we want to be careful with that. Um, you know, we want to make sure that um, we are, we're, we're acting responsibly within our community. We want to make sure that anything that we do is, is the right thing to do, assuming that we, you know, are worrying about our neighbor and we're worrying about our family. Like, I think there's a little bit of social responsibility we've got to take into account. Good point. Michelle Hode with us, Medical Laboratory Professions Association of Ontario. Obviously feeling the pinch as everyone is running to get a test done and wants the result yesterday. Uh, Michelle, thanks so much for the time. Good luck moving forward with all this. Be well. Thank you. You too. All right. Uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of feeling uh, a little uh, disjointed, a little uh, rattled and anxious about where we are. <laughs> Who would have thought when we were uh, lighting the CHML Christmas tree of hope a couple of weeks ago uh, down at uh, Gore Park that now everybody would be the mad dash and wouldn't be on for the toy of the day or whatever the gift of the uh, du jour is, but for a rapid test or a test result or a booster of some sort. Uh, I mean, it's just bizarre the way things have changed. I mean, this is nothing new for us. We've been going through it for an awfully long time. But all of a sudden, there was sort of a change in trajectory (laughs) a couple of weeks ago with this new uh, Omicron curveball. So uh, where has that left us? How do we move forward on what we thought was going to be a better holiday than uh, the last one? And certainly, uh, when we uh, one that we we all expected. Let's bring in Randy McKay, PhD, Professor, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences, McMaster University, and is with us now. Randy, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? 
Well, I, I'm like what you just said. Uh, I'm dealing with this uh, COVID curveball. I'm kind of probably feeling like a lot of your listeners, just like just when we thought we were getting out of it, um, everything's canceled and, uh, you know, it's, we're throwing a curveball. So I can really relate. What's it like to be a psychiatrist during a global pandemic? I mean, has your phone stopped ringing? Are people continually knocking on your door? Yeah, well, I'm actually a clinical psychologist, so it's a bit different than a psychiatrist, but it, it's a very busy time. We're busy usually, and um, I'm also a director at St. Joe's uh, Healthcare in Hamilton in the Mental Health and Addictions Program, and I can tell you we've never, ever been busier than we have during the pandemic, as everybody has been affected um, and continues to be affected by, you know, we're going on, on almost two years. Why is uh, does this holiday seem to be uh, more difficult than last? Is it because we thought up until a couple of weeks ago it was going to be pretty good? We're all vaccinated. Our vaccination rates are through the roof. It's looking pretty good, although obviously concerns. Um, is it more difficult this time because we didn't expect this? Well, Scott, I think it was pretty bad last holiday. Like, I remember, I think I might have yeah. been on your show. That was actually before we even had the vaccine. So we thought, yeah. oh, we're going to get the vaccine. So we were really feeling like we were in a dark place. I think now we're in a much better place because we have the vaccine. We have treatment. Um, I think we were getting back to normal. Um, and, and that's what I think makes this time around hard. Because as you said, in one week, like uh, Omicron is like, I think I read someone said it's like scaling Mount Everest, like, how fast it's hitting us, um, you know, and that's really knocking everybody for a loop. People have plans. I had lots of plans all canceled. People may have had travel plans. Like, so I think um, this one's also going to be hard just because we thought we were getting over it and, um, and we just got thrown that other curveball. So I think it's taking away a lot of the kind of freedoms and, and feeling like we were getting somewhere, um, you know, which was very positive. And now we're kind of back to really being limited in, in what you should be doing to kind of prevent the spread. That being said, it's now not our first rodeo, Randy. We've been through this before. Uh, do we know what to do? Yeah, you know, I think you're absolutely right. We know what we're dealing with. It's kind of like when you have your second baby. Uh, you know, you kind of <laughs> you know what to do. Uh, we all are vaccinated, hopefully, and, and also hopefully people are getting the boosters. And uh, we also have rapid tests, although they're harder to get. We are getting more and more. And I know um, as those become more available, we have more control in terms of, you know, keeping ourselves safe and testing um, and knowing what mask to wear and that sort of thing. So I do think we are more experienced and feeling more comfortable with how we deal with it. But, you know, that being said, it's still very hard when Things are taken away. Kids' sports are taken away. Do they go back to school? Um, you know, limiting travel and people's family gatherings. So even when you're not in a pandemic, the holidays can be hard for a lot of people, especially people yeah. who may be on their own and and struggling. So I think um, all of those things together make it make it a hard time, even though we do know what we're doing. Uh, people are angry, too. They're very fatigued and they're getting upset, uh, some becoming divided, uh, which we saw last holiday season as well. Um, that being said, will Christmas kind of ease that a bit? Will Will the holiday kind of make us take a step back? Yeah, well, you know, I hope so, because, I mean, the first beginning of the pandemic, we saw the fear. We were all kind of scared. What is this? Then the next kind of couple ways we saw people helping each other. Okay, we're going to get through this together. We're almost over it. And now we're kind of in this more long tail of it feeling. And you do see people are mad. People are short with each other. People are more irritable. Um, and I hope, you know, if people do get some time, it, it's a good time to reflect on, 
you know, the anger really just hurts ourselves because if we're angry and we're just carrying it around, you know, we're only hurting ourselves and, you know, it's, it's, it's not fun. So I think it is a time if we can step back and reflect to let go of that and really instead of looking what we don't have to look at what we have because you can always feel better right away by thinking, okay, well, I, if I focus on what I don't have, then I just feel terrible and maybe mad. But why don't I start to think of what do I have, what that I can be kind of appreciating, and then we just get to a better place. Um, another thing that the holidays also kind of, um, you know, spurs is helping other people. And that's another way we can help ourselves feel better is to focus on other people and helping other people because there's always someone probably in greater need than us. And so if we look around and help them, uh, that's another way to pull ourselves out of what we might be missing and just to feel like we're in a better place. Randy McCabe with us, Ph.D., clinical psychologist, professor, Department of Psychiatry, Behavioral and Neurosciences, McMaster University. Randy, as always, thanks so much for the advice. Much appreciated. It's difficult for everyone. Thanks for uh, at least uh, shining a light for us all. Be well. Yes, thanks, Scott. Have a good one. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right. uh, I always love, and this is uh, one of the neat things about this global pandemic, if there is anything neat about a global pandemic, is there's been a tremendous amount of polling that's going on, and it's been fascinating to uh, gauge where Canadians' heads are at, whether it's in one part of the country or another, another, and, and how they have been feeling through this global pandemic, which has obviously affected every single one of us. And will not be the same world coming out as we were uh, going in. So it's it's fascinating to see uh, these companies and their mirror images of uh, what society is all about. And uh, there's a new one out from uh, Leger, and uh, and this one I think dating back to December 10th to the 13th. But you think even since then, how much has changed, uh, especially with a new variant? Let's bring in Andrew Enns, executive vice president of Leger, and with us now, Andrew. Thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. I am well. Thanks for having me on. You're keeping well, and looking forward to all, some Christmas time ahead. All is good here. So this was taken December 10th to December 13th. Considering where we are with Omicron, do you think that that people's perceptions would have changed much from then till now? Uh, you know, I dare say they may have changed a little bit because. You know, the, the governments of uh, particularly uh, Ontario and Quebec haven't been, you know, weren't at the time rolling out, I don't believe, the hard public health measures and, and uh, some of the restrictions. They were sounding a bit of the alarm that this Omicron was uh, was present. But, uh, you know, I still think a lot of people felt that Christmas was going to be, um, well, better than last year. And, uh, you know, pretty quickly it uh, that changed for us. So uh, one of the questions, if a provincial election were held today, for which political party would you be most likely to vote for? And the results are? Yeah, so in our poll uh, this this month, the uh, the con- progressive conservatives have uh, opened up a bit of a lead. Um, they were at uh, 34% uh, a month ago, and, and uh, they've, uh, they've crept up to 38%. And uh, we see some uh, some jockeying uh, amongst the NDP. They're up a couple points uh, to uh, 28%, and the Liberals dropped a few points. They're at 25%. But you know, still, uh, you know that that race for the uh, the alternative to uh, the Doug Ford PC government is still very much in play. I'd say in in terms of our polling. 
So how much do you think, and I obviously, you know, I'm asking you to gaze into a crystal ball here, but considering that now we're in the throes of, uh, of a, uh, of a new variant and the, you know, the big concern now for people right the way across the country, whether you're in the east or the west or in the middle somewhere, there's long lineups for vaccines. There's long lineups for, um, uh, for, uh, testing and such. Do you think these numbers would have changed? Well, what what our polling has shown um, over, you know, since the pandemic and, and our subsequent waves, I think we're in number five now. I'm trying to keep track. Um, mm. Each each additional one um, is tough on is is uh, is progressively tougher on governments. And it's and it's not it's not just in terms of how they're responding to the wave. But it's the fact that as as um, as Canadians, as Ontarians, our 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 appetite and our patience for the for just lockdowns and lineups and and uh, requirements is is is, uh, is shrinking, and so we tend to take that out a bit on our governments, and so satisfaction for governments tends to take a take a hit, and that you hear more criticism of as you've talked about long lineups for all of a sudden there's big pressures on testing sites and. And the contact tracing and, and trying to get booster shots and, and, and things, rapid tests. I, I think the I think really, uh, uh, Scott, where we'll see is is how long this goes. I mean, I you're hearing some some indications that this could be a a fairly um, uh, aggressive in terms of it may move quickly. And uh, if it comes and goes relatively quickly, I think you. There'll be a little uh, collateral damage potentially for the uh, PC government, but but maybe not to the degree that we saw um, earlier this year when they were battling through the second and third waves, and, and those really took a toll on the government simply because the duration of them uh, was was quite a bit longer. Uh, obviously, we've been going through this for quite a while now, Andrew, and uh, it seems that uh, even though th- there's difficulties right the way across the country, uh, you know, we're seeing the same things, whether it's in British Columbia or New Brunswick, uh, long lines for testing, five hours, uh, lagging testing behind, the headlines are the same, but it seems that the provincial governments are taking the heat more than the federal governments are, considering and considering this problem goes is the same right the way across the country. Are you surprised at that? It seems the prime minister stays out of the stays off the radar for this. Uh, well, one, I, I would I would definitely agree with you in in the sense that this is a you know it, it is very much a national problem in terms of these uh, these situations, whether it's the uh, trying to get boosters out or try to get your hands on rapid tests. Um, but I'm not that surprised, uh, Scott, that that the federal government largely can stay can stay sort of um, out of the sights of the, uh, of, of the Canadian public. Healthcare really is a provincial matter. Uh, it's, it's, you know, on the ground in the province. And um, it, there's just a long history of, 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 uh, of residents in provinces really looking hard and fast at the provincial government if there's problems. And the feds tend to you know the fed the federal role is largely providing funding and, and now you know i think the pandemic changed that because they also took on responsibility for providing vaccines and and they've also taken on responsibility per, for providing these rapid tests really but the public hasn't really absorbed that that the feds have that kind of control and so unfortunately for the uh, for the provincial leaders they're um they're in the crosshairs and it, it 
try as they might, I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get out of the uh, out of that uh, situation. Andrew ends with us, executive vice, uh, vice president of Leger, gauging where people's heads are at as we meander through a global pandemic and another variant at this point. Andrew, thanks for the insight as always. Much appreciated. Be well. Excellent. Thank you, Scott. Welcome to the table, William Erskine, uh, producer and Diana Weeks newscaster for Hamilton Today and with us now. Uh, good afternoon, kids. Hope you're all doing well. We are good. I've got my Christmas sweater on. Do you really? Is it an ugly cl- uh, Christmas sweater or is it one you would consider nice? I think it's lovely. Think Does, it's lovely. Do you think it's ugly, Will? <laughs> uh, I think it, it has a Christmas cat. It's got a Christmas cat. No, it's antlers. a very nice one. It's got a Christmas cat. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So, uh, sorry. So, is there is there such a thing as a nice looking Christmas sweater, or has the whole Christmas sweater discussion always been about funny or ugly looking Christmas sweaters? I think it's finding the most tacky, ugliest ones. So that's what you're saying about the one you're wearing. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I was just trying to. I can't see you, Diana. I was just. I was. Wow, that's a beautiful sweater you're wearing. <laughs> or is that? Oh, that's a tacky cat uh, in the antlers Christmas uh, sweater. That's a nice one. Yeah. All right. Uh, and Will, uh, you're just uh, wearing the normal burlap sack. You got nothing special Christmassy on today. I got a friend. I, I pinned a little ornament on it. I found one on the sidewalk. I've got a friend who I've known since high school, and you know, on Facebook, everybody's, um, you know, you, you catch up with all these people. And he was he was a teacher, and he had like the twelve ties of Christmas. So every day on his Facebook page, he had like a different tie on, uh, and and apparently twelve of them. So some people really jump on board this and, and get into the Christmas outfits uh, uh, and such. You know, I, I have a feeling though with the Christmas ties that um, once you get one, you keep using it you don't necessarily go out and get a good one or a nice one or a new one much like the christmas carols wouldn't you say yeah well my husband has a few he wore to work today a button-up uh dress shirt with santas all over it and a christmas tie wow that is very cool and the spiked hair is that no we got no box heads no what happened to the box heads? oh yeah we're supposed to be I thought we were supposed to be having uh, playing the box heads. They were supposed to be doing a Christmas set with us, and then all of a sudden Omicron. All of a sudden Omicron hit, and there's no there's no box head. Is it box heads? Box heads. Yes. Yeah. Where's the CD? I thought that was going to be a Christmas present to me from your husband. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll find it. It might be a little post Christmas, but we'll find it. We'll get it. So no, you you did find the CD, or you didn't find the CD? Oh, he found the CD. Oh, because you know there's lots of chatter around it. Then all of a sudden it stops. So is the CD not well? What what happened, Diana? <laughs> Clearly, you've you've somehow intercepted our box head CD here. I'll get it to you guys. I'll get it to you guys. All you know, right. it was the Omicron. It came in and I stole everything. You. And... Are you proud of the box heads? Me? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was a so great thing So you love the box heads. Well, I, you know, I wasn't... You're a box head. This wasn't during my tenure with my husband. This was before right. my time. So, so I do never you look saw at the box. So do you look at the box heads as another time in your husband's life, or you, have you embraced the box head era of your husband's life? I, I, a bit of both. A bit of both. Embrace the era. <laughs> I really yeah. think we should get him on the air on this. All right, let's move on uh, and start with the poll question of the day, as we always do. Man, oh, man, here we go again. How do you grade provincial and federal government's uh, COVID response? And uh, majority of you, 80%, are saying failure. Uh, and that's just both the provincial and the federal governments. Um, you know, one question I did have coming out of all of this, and we find ourselves, and I mean, let's be honest, Omicron, yes,
yes, we did see it coming. We knew it was coming. We knew this was going to happen. Uh, but the extent and the speed in which it took over, I don't. I think caught a lot of people by surprise. What I'm uh, questioning at this point is obviously we're seeing overtaxation of the laboratories. Uh, same thing of of the distribution systems and such. My question is, should we have? Uh, maybe started doing all of this earlier than later. How would you grade uh, the response of governments, Diana? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff about the rapid tests, and it's just a mess. Like, I think that, you know... Instead of locking things down for two hours, you know, like closing bars for two hours before their regular closing time or whatever, yeah, that's all fine and great. I mean, but you can't get a COVID-19 test anywhere. Like, they're doing these rapid test clinics, and they're booked up until after Christmas now. Like, the Mm -hmm. plan would have been, you know, to maybe get people to get the tests in their hands, test themselves, and then go to Christmas or don't go to Christmas. Like, this is going to help a lot of people if they had this. Um, it's interesting because the Prime Minister was pointing to New Brunswick, and I was doing some research on that last night, and there's a new story on New Brunswick. And what New Brunswick had done differently is they started, and obviously a much smaller province, but they started giving their uh, test kits out uh, before any of this kind of started. But then the problem, ha- what, what has happened and what has been reported as of yesterday, is now that we're in a crisis situation where everybody wants one, now everybody, because everybody who perhaps perhaps didn't necessarily need one, has got one. Now there's a mm. shortage of tests in New Brunswick because they gave too many out too soon. Yeah. So, man, you know, you seem you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't on, yeah. on all of this. Will, what are your thoughts? Uh, how do you grade both the province and the feds on this? Well, seeing as it's the the Christmas season, I'll be charitable and say C- minus for the federal government. Um. Will's actually it's giving generous. a grade. Look yeah. at you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I've said before, I, I try to keep in mind that the, it, it, you can never just pinpoint on one thing or blame one person or what the but it's trickled down right from up at top yeah you know we were talking to the head of the laboratory association of ontario these this is an association that looks after or, or obviously speaks for all of the labs that are doing all of this testing and you know uh much like you know we were saying before about the vaccines get them into the pharmacist because they're able to do it but the point is is that nobody is able to do this stuff overnight and and that's what she was saying is the system's not set up the system's set up to give you a really accurate test result in 24 hours whether it's covid whether it's cancer whether it's a pregnancy test uh now the 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 lab system has just been flooded because they've told everybody to get tested and they just you know everything's been delayed for you know upwards of a week where these would normally be uh overnight all right let's talk about uh booster shots uh we've saw with the u.s they were offering them months ago israel is up to their fourth shot now if having a booster shot was so important should we have allowed these to be given out earlier as you remember nasi just uh approved uh, booster shots uh, the first week of December, I believe it was, for those over uh, 50 years of age. And then within a week, blammo, it went down to 18 plus. Do you think we should have started boosting earlier, Diana? I I think so. I think they should have, like, you know, advertised it a bit better because we know that they were available for certain groups of people. Mm. But they should have opened it, I think, to everyone that wanted one because now we're in this mad rush right before Christmas. Um, and it's just, you know, I've been trying since Monday to book my booster shot. And I, yeah. I know Will had his 
Uh, but I can't seem to have that luck. And I, I try as I might. I'm trying to book. And um, it just keeps saying that there's nothing available. So I'm going to keep trying, but I don't know. And you have to think, too. And I, like remember this at the beginning during uh, when vaccine first became available in the spring, like in May and June. Uh, I remember people trying to get on the first day and it was it was, you know, a free for all. And now all of a sudden everybody's doing this at once. This even when we did it in the first and second third or when we had vaccine, rather, uh, we were doing it in, in, in uh, you know, in cohorts of age. Now it's sort of turned into a free for all and, and clearly just overloaded the system. Yeah. We have not got to the best Christmas present as a kid or an adult but man we are going to do that for uh, tomorrow that's for sure uh thank you round table as always diana weeks and william erskine you're listening to the hamilton today podcast from 900 chml well i wanted to play you a call and this is from adam and this is in regard to uh vaccine boosters and and whether we should be getting one or sending your booster to uh, another part of the world for someone who who doesn't need it, which we've been talking about, I think, for a couple of weeks now. And, you know, it's like the people that said to Elon Musk, why don't you just write a check and, and solve um, the world hunger uh, in Africa? And and really, when you think about it, it's, it's an, a neat comparison because feeding Africa is about as difficult as trying to get all of Africa vaccinated. Um, and would you not eat dinner until Africa did? Because if that's the case, you'll be waiting a long time. It's not that we're not generous. It's that other parts of the world do not have the infrastructure in place to do this the way we're doing it. We're trying to vaccinate and test a whole pile of people in a very short period of time, and we're complaining that we can't do that. Well, imagine if we didn't have the infrastructure in place uh, that we had. Here's what Adam had to say. Yeah, Scott, I was just wondering, uh, based on the fact that uh, the World Health Organization has said that getting booster shots for the, uh, North America and the rest of the world is bad uh, because it creates uh, vaccine inequality and that will create more strains in the future. Uh, I'm vaccinated, two shots, I have my flu shot. I just wonder, you know, I feel fine, I'm healthy, I don't think I need a booster. And I think that people are just getting hyper about getting the booster now and I think it's wrong. Um, you know, uh, uh, we've talked about this with many doctors and I have yet to find one single doctor that has said, or anybody in the healthcare profession, uh, don't get your booster in order for us to send that shot to another part of the world. I'll go back to two weeks ago, Dr. Fauci talking about this exact same issue because, of course, the Omicron variant came out of South Africa. South Africa stated to the rest of the world, do not send us any more vaccine. We have more than enough vaccine in South Africa. That's not the problem. The problem is we do not, they do not have a, a healthcare infrastructure in place to get these vaccines out from wherever they are and into the arms of people out in uh, the rural, specifically rural areas of, of some of these third world countries. So again, the issue is not having enough vaccine. The issue is trying to get it to the people there. And you not getting your vaccine does absolutely 
nothing to get it into the arms of someone else in another part of the world. Another great example of this is Haiti and the tragedy that they've been through with earthquakes, what have you. Remember 15 years ago with the big earthquake in Haiti, it wasn't about, there was tons and tons of aid given. The problem was once it got there, fell into the hands of corruption and it didn't get into the hands of people that need it. So it's not a case of you giving up your dose. It's a case of how do we administer these vaccines in a third world country? And it's the exact same question as how do we feed a third world country? Because let me suggest to you, it is no more easier to vaccinate the third world than it is to get them fed. And it's not because the rest of us are not generous. We simply cannot go into other sovereign countries and take over and say, this is what you should do. You should all be lining up like this and and getting a vaccination. That's simply the way, it just simply doesn't work that way. So again, do we need to find out ways in which to feed these parts of the world? Absolutely. Do we need to figure out a way of getting this part of the world vaccinated? Absolutely. But you not eating or getting your vaccination does nothing to help the people there. And there's a big woke generation here that thinks that somehow that is the case. And again, I repeat what South Africa said. We do not need any more vaccine. That's not what we need. They need an infrastructure in place to not only feed their country and the world, but vaccinate those countries and the world. And I would suggest it's a way harder than you not getting your booster and saying, I'm going to send it to another part of the world because it just won't end up in an arm like that. That's just not the way it happens. Of course, uh, we're always open to hear what you have to say. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Steve is on the line. Steve, how you feeling today? What's on your mind? Feeling great. Uh, everything's fine with me. Um, I just wanted to uh, make a remark about the, the fellow that, and I, I got to say, I respect his opinion, and it's, it's nothing about shaming him or trying to make him feel guilty. But you know when you're on an airplane and those oxygen masks fall out of the ceiling? Mm-hmm. They tell you, put yours on first and then look after other people. So if we give stuff away, could we potentially be not looking after ourselves to help other people in other countries? Well, you bring up a valid point, uh, Steve, but again, they've, and they have stressed that anything that we do give away, it's given away after we've already made sure that we are uh, looked after here at home as well. And again, I, you know, I got nothing against giving excess stuff away and, you know, help the guy across the road whenever you can. I mean, that's what we do here as Canadians. Uh, but you bring up a very valid point. Uh, this so much isn't an issue about supply and having enough because there is enough supply in the world. They're still churning this stuff out like, you, you know, it's, it's, it's going out of style. The issue is there's not the systems in place in order to get it distributed at that end. And we don't run other people's countries and people frown on that when we do. So yeah. again, I think, I think there's a lot of woke people out there that are thinking, you know, we should be doing more. But again, it, it's not just the idea of doing more. It's the action you're actually doing. 
doing. And if you're, uh, again, you're donating something or helping somebody in some way, that they don't need that help. All that's doing is making you feel good. It's not helping the scenario in any way. So, again, as you mentioned, I understand where all the hearts are coming from, but um, if you're not giving the right kind of help, you're really not helping anyone. Yeah, I was just going from a cold scientific uh, sort of a standpoint. And, and nothing wrong with giving away it. I'm not trying to yeah. do anything or say anything that's going to harm or you know, this other fellow that has an opinion, which is what I have. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Steve. Much appreciated. That's what it's all about, chatting and getting it off your chest and uh, meeting of the minds. You don't always have to agree with everybody. All right. Uh, again, uh, one of the, the neat things going through this global pandemic, and there hasn't been much, it's 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 talking to the various pollsters, engaging Canadians' opinions through this whole ordeal, and it has been quite an ordeal for everybody. Let's bring in Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos. They've done a cool poll uh, as we head up into the holidays, into Christmas. Who's on Santa's naughty list? Who's on Santa's nice list? And as you can imagine, uh, all the politicians uh, are on the naughty list, uh, but even thrown in with the likes of uh, Chinese Communist Party leader uh, Xi Jinping and Russian's leader Vladimir Putin, uh, which is a little extreme, but what the heck. Daryl Bricker is with us now. Daryl, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine, Scott. Hope you are, too. Uh, thanks so much, Daryl. Uh, you know, uh, this uh, poll, I guess, was done last week. Uh, will any, and I guess I'm asking you questions you can't answer, but do you think the attitude of people has even changed in the last week or so, Daryl, through all of this? And I know you obviously don't have results for that at this point, but do you even think, you know, you probably did this in December 15th thinking, all right, there's a gauge going into Christmas, and then all of a sudden a variant has reared its ugly head. Uh, do you think it's changed opinion again? I don't know that it's changed opinion on, on this question, you know, who should be on Santa's body or nice list. But uh, it really the character of the way people are, are, are dealing with COVID this time around is quite a bit different than the way that it was a year ago. So, for example, when we asked people in a poll that we did for, for Global last week, uh, what percentage of the population support shutdowns if we need them? I think the number was like 54 or 56%, which is still really high. But compared to this time last year when it was in the 80s, Wow. It's a very different type of environment. So what's been happening with COVID is that people um, are, are not as sure about the solutions hmm. today as they were in the past. And so there's a certain amount of questioning going on about a lot of aspects of this issue, um, and particularly questioning of our leaders, uh, that is uh, the character of it is different. It's, it's like serious questions now as opposed to, hey, everybody's just got to fall in line and, and, and do what we're ever asked, whatever we're asked to by government. So, And it's part of it is because some of the intensity has come out of the issue, um, and people are able to look at it a little bit more rationally. So it's, it's created a different kind of an environment. And the problem f- for governments in this situation is if you're simply taking the, the playbook from a year ago and just dusting it off and replaying it again this time, well, the population's changed. The way we think about this issue has changed. And as a result of that, um, it's, it's kind of a different reaction. And I'm sure you're hearing it from the people who are calling you. And it seems to me that the provinces are taking more heat on this than the federal government. Is that accurate? And again, we've got the same situation right the way across the country. No one province is doing any better than anyone else on this when it comes to lineups for testing and boosters and such. Uh, and I've been I've been crying uh, all through this week saying, why are the provinces always getting the hit and not uh, the feds? Is that accurate? 
No, it's not. I, I think all levels of government are taking a taking a hit. I mean, if you look back to this time last year again, Scott, I mean, if you take a look back to this time last year or even a little mm-hmm. earlier than that, uh, all of the provincial premiers were getting historic highs. We, we had the highest single score we've ever seen for provincial premier um, in, uh, in Francois Legault in, in the province of Quebec, who was, I think, yeah. 95, yeah. 95. Today, he's not even close to that. I mean, the, 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 the premier of Ontario was in the 70s, which we've never seen. He's now down in the 30s. Uh, the prime minister uh, was at back at that time. He was running in the 60s himself. He's now down at 40. So all levels of government um, uh, are, are feeling the um, the uh, the effect of, of a population that's not happy with the way that this is going. Any way to look into your crystal ball? What do you see as we head into 2022? I mean, can you see any trends? Well, you know, it is interesting. One one thing that we are seeing is that people are learning to live with COVID. That's 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 part of what's causing yeah. the situation that I described before. So until this week, the most important issue in the country uh, that was moving back up the list, you know, healthcare in general, but also we saw the economy moving up and people's concerns about the economy uh, um, yeah. spiking again and, and, and taking over the list of most important issues. Now, it's obviously changed a bit with, with Omicron, but... It, the, as I said before, um, we're seeing space for other things to open up, and people are sort of less emotionally committed to dealing with this issue than they were previously, which means that as we go into 2022, the the, uh, the political situation is going to become even probably more complicated. Daryl Brooker with us, CEO of Ipsos, talking about our feeling as we head into the Christmas of 2021. Daryl, an absolute blast having you on for the course of the year. We hope to do this more in the new year as well, as you give us an image of a snapshot of uh, what we're all thinking here in the country. Thanks so much for your time, Daryl. Be well. My pleasure. Same to you, and uh, happy, uh, happy Christmas and happy new year to all your listeners. All right, let's bring you, uh, give you a bit of an update on COVID-19 and Omicron and where we are uh, and bring in Dr. Alon Vaisman, infectious disease specialist with the University Health Network and with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, you too. Uh, what about a bit of an update on where we are with this virus now, Omicron, and heading into a holiday season? Obviously, there's a, a mass lineups for, for testing and, and for boosters and such. Uh, knowing what we know at this stage, December 23rd, what are your thoughts? Uh, how do you digest where we are right now? So um, there's a few pieces of information that are concerning and a few that are uh, more reassuring. So the cases are rising as we expected, uh, or as was uh, projected over the last few weeks by the science table and other modeling figures. So I think we should continue to anticipate that the case overall case numbers are high. But a reassuring feature of all of that is that the number of ICU admissions and hospitalizations still are not elevated to nowhere near the point where we saw with similar case numbers back in uh, April or May. So although the case numbers are high, there appears to be so far decoupling between the case numbers and uh, the most important aspect of all this, which is hospitalization and death. The second thing is that as the days progress, every piece of data that we have about Omicron so far suggests that it is more mild in those who are vaccinated or previously infected. So this is, of course, not yet set in stone. There's still a lot more that we need to learn about it. But every day that we get a little bit more information on Omicron, the more it seems a little bit more reassuring. 
Uh, I, I don't want to get ahead of the game here, Doctor, but could this be, and I've asked this of, of many in your in, in your situation before, and, and, and again, obviously opinions are different, but could this be a turning point, Doctor, in this fight against COVID-19 because we have this variant that is obviously spreading so quickly, it's becoming the most dominant variant, it's pushing Delta out, yet, it, it you know, if, if, as you're saying, we're hoping it's not as, uh, not as dangerous as what the Delta uh, was, or is rather, could this lesser dangerous virant, uh, variant actually push the other ones out and this become a turning point in the fight of the, against this virus in the sense that we're just learning to live with it. It'll go through mass populations. People who are fully vaccinated hopefully won't get that ill and, and we'll move on. Is there a turning point because it is more infectious yet less uh, dangerous? Yeah, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense, and I think everyone is hoping for that. And so far, the evidence shows that that could be the case. And just like other coronaviruses that cause common colds that we have every single year, they're mild mm-hmm. and hardly kill people. The one thing that's giving people pause about that is that this concept of immune escape, which has shown that part of the reason Omicron is so transmissible is that it tends it has an ability to infect people who were previously infected. So the one question that remains is, among people previously infected, or in our case, many people are vaccinated as well, how severe is the disease going to be in those people? If it's the case that it's mild in people who are reinfected or previously vaxxed, then yes, certainly that's the path to endemicity, the path to ending the restrictions and everything that we do with COVID. But if people still get severe disease with reinfections, then it makes the situation a lot more challenging. So that is the big question that's going to be answered over the next few weeks and months. We're hearing a lot of breakthrough cases, and the majority of the people that are getting uh, testing positive have, in fact, been fully vaccinated. So there obviously is going to be a lot of people uh, in the country now who have tested positive but have been fully vaxxed. What, what do they do moving forward, and when do they get vaccinated? Yeah, so the people who are fully vaccinated and still picking up COVID, this is, this is going to be a feature of Omicron that we're going to see over the next few weeks. But overwhelmingly, the data shows that their likelihood of dying or hospitalization remains very low, just as it remained with Delta. So for people who are fully vaccinated, they can anticipate that there's still a decent chance, either now or later, when things open up more, that they'll be exposed to COVID or pick it up. But fortunately, because they're fully vaccinated, they can anticipate, generally speaking, an asymptomatic or mild course, and generally speaking, a very low chance that they might be hospitalized as a result of, of covid so I think people who are, you know, it still reinforces the idea that everyone still should get vaccinated because that is still the safest way to have a mild or asymptomatic illness if you're exposed. If you've got a breakthrough case, how long do you wait to get your third shot? That's a great question. We don't really have a great answer to that. Um, in the past, what we've done is that for people who have had a, a, um, an illness due to COVID, we usually wait until the acute period is over before vaccinating them. In situations where the the virus is very prevalent and the case numbers are very high, it would make sense to vaccinate those people sooner rather than later with a third dose or if they've never been vaccinated to start the, the, the series. In situations where the case numbers are very low, it makes sense to wait a little bit longer to make sure people are fully recovered, perhaps in the range of weeks before vaccinating them. But we don't have a definitive answer for that yet. Uh, obviously, uh, we're seeing long lineups for uh, testing and for the booster shot. 
Um, the uh, for in, in Ontario, for example, they lowered the eligibility to 50 plus just like the first first week of, of December, and then like a week after that, it was lowered down to. Uh, to 18. If if it's so important for us to be getting a booster shot, should Canadians have started this process earlier? Because obviously it was just very recently that NASI has re- recommended getting boosters um, and, and recommended the 50 plus just a couple of weeks ago and such. So um, should we have perhaps started uh, giving out boosters earlier in this campaign? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. On the one hand, before all of Omicron showed up, we had the United States, France, Germany, Israel, and other countries already rolling out their doses. And so you mm-hmm. can say, well, Canada was late in the game. On the other hand, there wasn't a pressing need at the time. And it's only when Omicron showed up where the evidence showed that a third dose is highly protective compared to the second dose. Whereas with previous variants, they wouldn't see such a big difference with transmission. So, you know, it's a situation where you could say, look back and say, well, we should have prepared for something like Omicron to show up. Or you could say, well, Omicron is such a unprecedented thing, even in this unprecedented times, that you know we Canadians couldn't be blamed, or the federal government, whoever nasty, couldn't be blamed for delaying the third dose. But in retrospect, yes, the answer would be we should have started earlier. Uh, obviously, the speed in which this spread, I think, caught many by surprise. What can we learn from this phase, from this variant? Uh, you know, we've done this all through the first, second, third wave. I'm not sure if this class is the fifth or not or, or what have you. But what ha- what can we learn from, from this variant? Yeah, it's. I think the question of the immune escape is really going to be the critical one. Is, is it going to be, even if it causes mild disease, uh, how often are people going to be reinfected over and over again? And will it cause severe disease in those people? And I think the main thing people are going to want to know is that if, as we talked about earlier, is if the cases become very high and prevalent throughout the population, does it ever justify having to go into restrictions or lockdown ever again? Because a key concept here is that even, let's say, if Omicron has half the number of hospitalizations as Delta, if you infect double the number of people, you've essentially canceled out that difference. Mm-hmm. In other words, you still lead to potential capacity problems in hospitals. But if the, the disease is so much more mild, such that even if more people get disease and don't get hospitalized, then the hospital system may not be overwhelmed. So that's really one of the critical things to figure out in the next few weeks. Dr. Alan Weisman with us, infectious disease specialist with the University Health Network. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Uh, good luck. Be well moving forward with all of this. Thank you, you too. Happy holidays. Great to have you aboard. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Scott Radley joining us, who will do his last show of the year tonight. Uh, of course, coming up right after the 6 o'clock news and columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, great to have you on. Uh, hope you're doing well. Thank you, I am. And I know, Scott, I, I, ho- I know this is your show and you ask the questions, but I'm going to ask you a question based on that song that just played. I know what's you're going to ask me. No, no. What's the one thing as a kid that you asked for that you really wanted for Christmas that you never got? The one thing that you wow. were desperate to get and never showed up? Mini bike. Uh, you're close to mine. Yeah, mini bike. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember when we were young, mini bikes were uh, big uh, in the 70s. Maybe I'm a bit older than you. In the 70s and such. And I remember there was like people had used ones. You could buy them for next to nothing. And we were living in a survey. So, um, uh, and, and you know, we had farmland between us and, and the city. So uh, this was perfect. And no, not allowed. We had skidoos, but we're never allowed to have a mini bike. And I just, you know, my parents said, nope, you're not getting two wheels. That was it. You, what about you? Big wheel. 
I, all, all, <sighs> the, all the kids in the neighborhood had a big wheel, and I did. That was the one I wanted. It was the big wheel. I remember I big happened. wheels. Now, why didn't you get the big wheel? Because I could see with the, with the mini bike, you know, uh, number one, you're not of age and all of that stuff. But uh, why not the big wheel? I, you know what? I have no idea. I don't think there was any kind of, you know, safety or ethical or moral or bad behavior reason. Maybe the bad behavior part, I'm not sure. But, uh, no, I, 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 I couldn't tell you. I was never hard done by, but for some reason, the big wheel just never showed up. I so, remember seeing the commercials of the big wheel. And oh, think about it. They're oh. probably not the safest things because they were so low and, and you know, they, they'd go pretty quick. But, you know, you'd see the kids uh, wailing down the hill, and then they'd pull the handbrake and spin it around. Oh, it's like I would have loved perfect. to have done that. Yeah. It was perfect, and we had a dead end. It was perfect. We could have done. Oh it. yes, you know yes. it was all good. But no, so I I, I live <laughs> now. <big> decades <laughs> later, still ruminating about the idea. I Are they still around? Well, yo, sure. I just I think I saw a commercial for some, or I saw something for it. But as Ted Michael really? say, we we rude the day that uh, that I didn't get it. I still rue it. So. Uh, what anyway. was the best? We had this, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow. But you're not here tomorrow, so we'll, we'll ask you now. What was your best Christmas present as a kid? Your best Christmas present as a kid, or certainly something that stands out. You know, there were two, and and it's funny because uh, a few years ago, I, I I talked about this with we called a bunch of people from town and and asked about this, and it got me thinking of mine. And at that time, there were two that came to mind. One was. Um, Back as a kid, I loved Bernie Perrant, the goalie for the Philadelphia mm. Flyers in the 1970s. I played goal, not well, but I played, and I got a Bernie Perrant number one Philadelphia Flyers sweater, which at that time nice. was just awesome. Wore it all. I still have it in the basement. It's somehow shrunk. It's like O.J. Simpson's glove. It's half the size it started as. <laughs> it dries but, up. Um, and the other, and this one will probably be more to your liking, was do you remember back in the day there was the Evil Knievel SST stunt bike that you would pump yes yes and, and you would and the, now the problem was it was an awesome price evil Knievel was the thing the guy yeah and huge. this was the this was amazing the only problem was you watch those tv commercials again and he would jump 90 meters and land yeah. on his wheel i could never land it once yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly Do you remember the big gym the sports bike? camper do you remember the big gym, big gym sports remember camper? Big gym. Remember big yeah. gym for sure. Yes. And like there was, Joe, there was these, yeah. there was like, it was sort of on the heels of GI Joe. There, there was these action figures for boys. And what the big gym sports camper was, was actually just Barbie's camper, uh, with uh, brown and black what, instead what? of pink and orange. Yeah. Weaponized. Yeah, well, just that's right. They just took the Barbie cans. They just took the Barbie camper and pre- and pretended that she got freaked out on crack and 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 just went wild with uh with a AK forty seven. That was Big yeah. Jim, I guess. I, I think that may, the person who wrote Stripes was that Harold Ramis, the movie with yes. John Candy. Yeah. I think that may have been the inspiration for that one because remember that was all about the uh, the uh, weaponized motorhome. Yes, I, I do remember. And back then, it's so funny how times change, right? Because back then, for guys. The, you know, your sisters would have the Barbie dolls, yep. and we would have either Big Jim or G.I. Joe or Stretch Armstrong. Or yeah, I remember Stretch Armstrong. One. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and the $6 million man where there was a little hole behind his head so you could look through his super eye to see out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You're probably too young, but I remember Hot Wheels, too. I was really big into oh, Hot sure. Wheels. Oh, they were sure. amazing. And slot car sets. I bet you I've got, like, at least a half a dozen slot car sets still downstairs, uh, hoping well, one day I can have the ultimate setup. True, true uh, disclosure here. Once upon a time, I was a model in the Simpsons catalog for Tonka Toys. For Tonka trucks. Really? 
I was, yes. I back in like the nineteen seventies. Like seriously, you were in the catalog. I was in the catalog. I was where model is like working with Tonka Toys. It really? Awesome. Oh, How yeah, did you get that gig? Well, my dad worked for Simpsons. <laughs> oh, there you go. Right. But, but and, and, you know, I'm sure that's how Claudia Schiffer and other great models of the 80s and 70s all got their starts. Their dad worked for the company, right? They weren't beautiful. They just had an in. Uh, you know, as soon as you said as soon as you said the Simpsons catalog, all of a sudden I thought of the section with the brassiers and the pants panties in them. But I guess that well, that's different from where from well, the so from a, the section you were in. I had a buddy from school who made the horrible mistake of also being in the catalog. And as you say, he was in the boys' underwear section, and it never crossed his mind that posing in your underwear when you're about a 13-year-old, that every kid might photocopy that and stick it on every <laughs> wall of school. And the kids already got Star Wars underwear on or something like that. Well, and you're 13 years old. Let's just, to, to put it delicately, you don't have lumps and bulges in places where you might want if you were an underwear model you are you look like ken doll they haven't so, seen <laughs> he was, they look, he they're not anatomically correct oh he man forever it was uh, a bad choice you know you start off with the rattley on here and you think you're going to do something a little Christmassy and wholesome and it ends up talking about boys in underwear all right that's the way it's going to end that's the way it's going to end uh, Scott, thank you so much for uh, helping us out, as you always do when we uh, do the crossover here. Much appreciated. I know it's your last show tonight. Have a good one, and all the best to you and your family uh, during this holiday season. Good luck making it through all this. Be well. No, you too, and we will uh, talk to everybody uh, early in the new year. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for the show. Thanks to Will and Diana for uh, contributing today. As always, we leave it to you, uh, the listener, in this case, Steve, to have the last word. So this is COVID. What jab did you get? Another year staying inside of your house. This is not Michael Bublé, but have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. There you go. I'll take that. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.